Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. I'm Shu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, we've had some international action going on this week from both the women's and the men's 15s team. So, you know, uh, we're watching uh, the women late on the Friday night and the men early on the Saturday morning. Basically, uh, perfect for anyone on the night shift, but uh, how were you able to cope with the... uh, that would be terrible for anybody on night shift because you're on night shift. You're probably working through that whole thing. So it'd be terrible. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, if you're starting at midnight, you may be able to get just the start of the, or probably get the whole oh, of the women's game. And then when you finish, you can just uh, clock off and uh, get in the men's game. You know, but how I are think- you able to cope with the uh, many start times? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, sleep schedule, obviously with the World Cup's been a little, been a little wacky. And then, yeah, obviously, I mean, waking up or uh, staying up late for um the uh you know the women in the bronze final and then the uh the big uh watching uh Eng- England streak come to an end in the uh the uh, gold medal game there um so that's obviously a late night and then Canada just uh the men's team making you wake up bright and early again um they made that uh, at least they, they made that worth waking up for so that was fun mm-hmm. um so uh, you know a couple excellent games and then I mean a lot of a lot of fun rugby um across the entire like international scene i guess um automations tournament was pretty good too some fun uh premiership games as well um you know this is kind of going to be a uh be a pretty uh pretty packed episode man it's a big uh big mlr week too with the uh the mm-hmm. schedule drop and the dispersal slash expansion drafts on top of you know these uh these uh two uh both canadian national teams in action um so it's uh Plenty, plenty of uh, plenty to get into here. I, I cracked a beer for this one. I don't usually crack a beer to record the podcast, but it felt like, uh, you know, there's so much fun stuff that it's uh, probably worth worth the cause. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'm doing the opposite. I'm only on the water. I'm staying uh, sober oh, until uh, Christmas. So, oh, try, try, trying to trying to lose a few pounds and then uh, immediately put it on on uh, Christmas Day. <laughs> is that is that thing. what it is? Is that like is that are you doing? Is that like a Lent thing? I guess that's not really a Lent thing. Lent's Easter, right? Nah, I guess that. Uh, yeah, I think it's more that my liver just needs a break, so uh, that's what we're going. See, I'm um, usually just drinking water during these, so I guess we're we're switching some rolls up. I guess. I, I guess we are right. Okay, but let's get into it. We had the. Uh, finals of the Women's World Cup, both games taking place at Eden Park. And we started off with the bronze final, and it was France against Canada. So, you know, um, after the loss to England and France's narrow loss to uh, New Zealand, you know, it's something to go for with the bronze medal matches. I know that uh, when it's the Men's World Cup, they speak disparagingly about it, but I still feel as though, like, it's still... You know, something for teams to like prove that they've gotten something out of it. But, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. However, um, this brings back into conversation the discussion between a fully professional team and a semi pro, a best team, because um, Canada, honestly, they looked drained from about five minutes in. It was clearly obvious to anyone who watched the game last week that Canada had put everything on the line to try and make the final. And yeah, it's uh, a weak turn, a weak um, turnaround. So, 
you know, trying to get things, trying to get your mind back into the mentality of uh, being able to play one more game and hopefully get another victory. But when the other team has been in an environment of which they've been able to recover much faster as a result, it really uh, showed in this instance because France just attacked and attacked and never gave anything to the Maple Leafs at all. It was, yeah, it was just a, it was at points painful to watch, especially. (laughs) It it, It was, I mean, it was a tough game to watch. I mean, it's not just the fatigue of the Canadian players. It's also, as a result, a litany of errors that happened as well. Like the line out, which used to be such a mainstay and a, you know, yeah. Next to guarantee for Canada was just overthrown on multiple occasions and just didn't come together. Um, and yeah, there it wasn't, um, you know, perfect from France either. Like they got a yellow card in the 66th minute as well. And yeah. at the end, they'd put their entire bench on the pitch and then someone had to go off for a HIA. So they were down to, they were down a player for the remainder of the game. Um, but ultimately, they were better prepared coming into this fixture. They, like I said, they've been professional for at least the past year. Um, yeah, I think it was the their game against New Zealand in the uh end of year internationals in uh last year that really cemented how far they'd come from being uh professional and. Yeah, and you know, every people were talking about France as being like one of the contenders for the final. And if you saw their match against New Zealand last week, you, you know that if that kick had gone a few meters to the right, they would have been in the final. Yeah, and oh. absolutely, um, you know, form, formidable by uh, Le Bleu. Um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> Because this is the thing. Normally, this is the part where I talk about like, oh, you know, this try score by Canada was great, or <laughs> they got this penalty. Nothing. The final score was thirty six nil. I can't talk about scores if Canada <laughs> don't score anything. And I think personally, when it was getting to, I think it was within like the final ten or fifteen minutes, and Canada had um, a penalty within. Um, kicking range of the goalposts. Part of me was like, just, just kick the post. Just have something that isn't a zero. You were, you were upset about this. You were like, I, I was kind of upset game. because, because from my perspective, okay, What's thirty-six the difference? to three isn't isn't a lot, but it's still better than thirty-six nil. No. But then, but then again, at that <laughs> point, if you're if you're already thirty-six points down, uh, a player's been yellow carded. Then in your mind, it's like, well, if if it doesn't make any difference in the end, I, we may as well go for a try and see if we can get a score that way. Because that because thirty six three may not be great, but thirty six seven or thirty six five is better than thirty six three. Yeah. And I mean, was, I think I believe I, when you when you were texting me that that was super late in the game, and I was like, this yeah. it's it's over anyways. Yeah. Like it's. Um, no matter, like, I mean, I think, uh, I, I, I don't even remember what penalty you're talking about. I just remember you texting me and being upset yeah. about it. And I was like, it's, uh, 
like the game's over at this point. Um, whether you lose 36 to three or 36, like five or 36 zero trying to go for five, that's you know, at the end of the day, it's a loss. Um, I mean, yeah, not a whole lot, not a whole lot of scoring, obviously, on the Canadian side. Um, yeah. France France looked very good in this game. Um, they got tries from Fall, Bourdon, Menninger had two, and uh, Deshays had one as well. Um, so those are the five tries for France. Um, Druin uh, did very well kicking. Um, I was making up for last week, unfortunately. But realistically, I think um, I get your sentiment of what you're talking about, the professionalism and stuff. Um, I thought Squid, Squidge kind of had a funny tweet where he uh, – said uh, this Canadian performance is arguably a better advertisement for why they need to professionalize than last week. Um, Yeah, it's probably true. Um, I just think like, you know, watching this game and um, I mean, like you said, there's not, there's not really a whole lot to really say about it. Right. It's like, it's, you know, it's a bronze, the bronze medal at the world cup. And France, especially Bourdon, played unreal, but France dominated this game. Start to finish, all 80 minutes was just all France. Um, Completely dominated every aspect of the game. Um, You know, toward the end of the game, too, Canada, you know, kind of that that 7-1 split on the bench. That's, uh, you know, very unorthodox, but has been working out so far. I don't really know if it caught up to them in this game a little bit. Um, yeah, but I think that because yeah, there the pack, was very yeah. few changes from yeah uh, between games as well, and it all and well, the bats had already been depleted like earlier in the tournament yeah. as well. But it's so, also like the French backs were the dominant catalyst yeah. too for yeah their win, right? Yeah, oh. I, I will say one thing that happened is that uh, Bourdon got named like player of the match with at yeah. least nine minutes to go. And I don't know if that's like, oh, she's so impressive that no one can catch up to what she's done in this game. Or it just really undermines the rest of the French players of there's nothing they can do I mean, to catch up to I, what she's done. I, I was going to say, yeah. I was like, like, can you can you at least wait till like the seventy ninth like, minute? I thought that was a bit rude. Come I, on, I, I don't. I, I feel like in a thirty six nothing win, you you probably have a good idea of who the player of the because she didn't even like she didn't even play the whole game. Like she played exactly. out. Let me double check this. Like she came out in the sixty second yeah. minute. Yes. Or so, so I think she were... played an hour, and then yeah, they were. And they then were... ten minutes I... later, they're like, yeah. "Oh, she's player of the match." And it was I'm a like... good hour. It was a good I'm hour. Like... Um, um, right. So obviously, yeah. she set up a couple tries. She's um, she scored a try. Um, yeah, Madison right. Fall played the entire eighty minutes. Didn't even get a mention. Not even. Yeah. I, she uh... was on the team of the World Cup though. Fall right. So that that, yeah. that works out for the. Uh, they all got the recognition. Um, uh, fine, design. swings and roundabouts, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. so. Um, I think like the one thing though is it's like obviously like this game was a great one thing that I did love at the end of the game though. Um, Sophie de Goody out of the back of the ruck with like a sixty meter kick deep in oh. French territory, and then runs down. Um, yeah. and is in the first, uh, I think the first breakdown. Um, after that, chases it down and gets a breakdown steal. Um, you know, which set up a Canadian penalty, which they, you know, ultimately didn't capitalize on. Um, but like that whole play is just 
she's nominated for um women's world player of the year. World player of the year. If she doesn't win, I'm flying to World Rugby headquarters and like burning it. Um, I I fully agree with that sentiment. Yeah, and I um, would be getting the best as well. Yeah, I think the she's thing the best is player on the planet. Like, that is true, yeah. but the I think the issue when it comes to things like, um, well, essentially when it comes to like the World Player of the Year and stuff like that, more often than not, because it's not a open vote, it's uh, yeah. decided. Um, it's interesting that the women have four or uh, five nominees, and, and every other award category is like four. Yeah, also, I saw that. That was interesting. Kind of got robbed in this try of the year category. Karen Paquin did, did a try of the year robbery. so good she did it twice. Yeah, and... just robbery that that's yeah. not that neither one of those is included. Abby Dow's gonna win though. That she has Abby, uh, Abby Dow. I'm just mad that Canada that, didn't but... get nominated, but yeah, um, Abby I... Dow's gonna win that. Um, yeah, so that play from the Goody was amazing. Um, you know, it was a to me it was a really big bright spot, and then obviously like super big bright spot is you know some of the recognition that uh, players are getting being included on the uh, you know um, Alyssa Hallery also got included on that team of the World Cup, um, yeah. right? And then obviously you know the big one being De Goody being nominated for uh, Player of the Year, which is yeah. uh, phenomenal. Yeah. And, so the original point I was making is that sorry. when it comes to when it comes to Player of the Year, especially in a World Cup year, mm-hmm. it's usually from the team that's won the world cup it is because but they in are, this case the best player in the world does not play for that team it doesn't always hold true for example uh thierry Dusatois was player of the year in 2011 very Oops. much not a kiwi who uh won i was to say who who are the new zealand nominees for player of the year is uh, it woodman uh, yeah Porsche woodman and Ruhe Demont. I do so, love I love Woodman's Unreal. And, and Woodman's Unreal, but she's the second best player in the world. I'm not gonna like fall. This is the hill this is a hill I will die on, is that Sophie DeGoody is the best player in the world. I'm including men in this, by the way. Um yeah. she's the best oh, player. Yeah. No, no, I agree um, with that. Because the yeah. men's uh list is yeah. um Lacanio mm-hmm. Am, which is pretty fair. Antoine Dupont, which is also fair. pretty fair. Johnny Sexton, um uh, maybe a couple of years yeah. gone by, okay. and Josh Van der Fleer, who it was all right, but all right. So, player of the... so, so yeah, Sophie, Sexton, of, of those of those yeah. nine, I was say, can Sexton Am or Dupont like win breakdown battles like a flanker no. or whatever? Who was there a forward in that mix? Who was the last player that you said? Is that a uh, Josh Van der Fleer? That, that's it. I I know so yeah. little of this player. I've already disregarded it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah whatever Sophie good yeah um but it's like yeah so it's like that's the whole thing though it's like pick pick a back in the world and like compare and then add like ability in the breakdown to that yeah. and tackling ability pick a forward and add like any kicking skill or yeah. even with ball in hand it's it's on um you know just pick one she uh you can't match it yeah um so it's uh it's yeah, um, she's obviously a phenomenal player. Fully deserves that. She completely has my vote. If I got to vote on this, um, it's it's to her for sure. Um, I think the biggest thing is obviously, you know, it's a disappointing loss, um, right? Disappointing way to end it. What it was really a great tournament for the Canadian team, um, you know, the and it's I just we said a lot of things last week. Yeah. About you know just how proud we are of the team, 
um, how excited we are for the future of the team, how, you know, we want to leverage how rugby Canada needs to find a way to leverage this into more funding, mm. um, you know, where to get yeah. more funding, how to get this women's team a little bit more funding to, uh, and, you know, world rugby too, I think needs to like fully invest in this as well yeah. no like, i don't think it's just on rugby yeah, yeah. canada or whatever i think this is a world rugby thing world rugby's got to throw money at this and world rugby's yeah. got to throw especially throwing money because we all know that on the men's side a lot of things is determined like the funding world rugby gives you a lot of that is determined based on the performance of the men's team and yeah. like for canada or for italy countries like that the women's team is a lot better and yeah that, funding model maybe needs to reflect the fact that you know certain countries are going to have women's teams that are better at least as far as their performance on the world stage goes um but i think like so i just don't want to like lose people to like i just i know it's it's a tough kind of momentum killer to end the world cup on a 36 nothing blowout loss um but i really just and i mean i don't necessarily want to repeat everything we said last week because we said it last week and you can go back and listen to it all um, I just don't want to lose any of that like momentum or that energy um, that, yeah, man, we got to continue to support this team. And, um, you know, if uh, like, I mean, I don't really I'm going to admit that I don't really know the inner workings of the finances of Rugby Canada, yeah. how that works. Um, so I'm not going to like and I don't know where the money could actually come from, but just the generic we got to find a way to, you know, up some funding and stuff. Um as uh yeah. you know this team deserves it and uh, as i said last week too as little side of this is like all the senior teams deserve it men's then the two sevens teams as well um yeah. they just all deserve a little bit more funding but it really shows for the women's team right now considering how well they're performing despite mm-hmm. you know being maybe underfunded compared to the teams that uh got to the podium at the uh the world cup yeah so um scrum queens actually did a post world cup analysis of where each of the 12 teams needs to go from here so for new zealand and england it is basically you know keep the marketing going keep the um money going as well because it's you know so yeah obviously um uh new zealand had a lot of like young players kind of like ruby tui um, has obviously been a shining light for the uh, 15s uh, team. Mm-hmm. England as well. Pardon? I said she, oh, I just said she's unreal. Oh, yeah. No, she was fantastic. Um, England, for example, uh, there's a number of players who um, have played now in the 2017 and 21 World Cup finals. And not to disparage them, but maybe it's time to be focusing on like the next cycle, especially with England hosting the next World Cup. Yep. So they need to focus on like their marketing and stuff. France, uh, you know, they're saying it's a bit of the irony of saying deja vu for France, be it, but this is their um was it a seventh bronze medal? And yeah, they win bronze all successive the time. World Cup. Yeah. All the time. So so that's it. Uh, France uh, haven't made it to a World Cup final yet for the women, at least. Uh, Canada have. So beat you on. We beat you on that. Canada, in the long run. We're beating you on that run. Canada um, beat France in France to get to that final too. Yeah, that. See, well, and that shows uh, just how much um, professionalizing players has had a bit of turnaround. So when they when they got to Canada, you know, they're saying 
Of course, Candle will be disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing they um, focus on is that Rugby Canada, unlike um, the RFU, unlike uh, Rugby New Zealand or uh, French Rugby, yeah. uh, Rugby Canada doesn't have anywhere near the resources of um, those other yeah. three teams. So they are reliant on making the most of the time they have together in and around major tournaments. But an interesting thing I looked at was also the United States because they reached the quarterfinals but only ended with just one win against Japan and comfortable defeats to Italy and Canada twice. Mm. Uh, they need to halt a possible slow decline in retaliation, though there was some positive performance. Core reality is that this year was their worst ever World Cup finish, and if unchecked, they could slip well below seventh in 2025. But this has got me thinking. So I'd say what I'm saying the United States as well, but obviously mainly Canada. Um, so mm. what I think Rugby Canada need to do with their limited resources they have is take, uh, let's say, 10 players, 10 um, women's national team players. And, you know, we can give them uh, contract like out of season contracts. And the focus of Rugby Canada should be getting in touch with um, Premier 15s teams, uh, Elite teams in France, um, Super Rugby and Nuki teams in New Zealand, and just trying to get any of their players' contracts so that they can play in professional environments for as long as possible during the year. Now, obviously, players like uh, Sophie DeGoody and um, uh, Taylor Perry and... There's a lot um, of players. Yeah, yeah, Are you about to list all the players that play in the in England no, right now? But, uh, so I was saying that um, I was using those as an example because yeah. whilst they were at university and because of COVID, they went over they went and played over for a short time until um, only for like a season contract. And then they came back, continued studies, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So Canada, so I, that's what I was saying. Get, yeah, obviously as many players as possible, but maybe have 10 that you just have like on out of season contracts. These are the players that will be between uh, summer internationals and the end of year uh, tests. Um, they they will be on contracts and be like you are mandated to do this rest time. You are, have to be in off season training um, for this period of time, so that we can not only make you better players for Canada, but also better players for your respective teams wherever they are in the world. And why only ten? I, I say ten just because of their limited availability of finances. Like obviously, now if they had. If money was no object, I'd well, say professionalize fifty of them. Let's get them ready yeah. to go. But I'm I'm just saying for the time being, this is like the bare minimum. But when after 2025, we now have eight years until the USA hosts their World Cup in uh, 2033. So they'll need to be doing something, and Canada can benefit of it of making a continual. Um, professional presence and as much as now as much as i want to say like oh take mlr and make it women's only i don't think that would work but something that could work is the women's version of slar so having a national team so 
you know, Selknam for Chile has helped the Chilean men's national team mm. go from strength to strength to strength. So if we were to have at least one Canada team, basically like the women's version of Pacific Pride, I'd say, yeah. and have the uh, women's version of the American Raptors, and they're playing in competition with... Um, you know, a women's team from Argentina, a women's team from Chile, a women's team from Brazil, you know, and if there's enough funding and resources, you know, maybe there's two uh, Canadian teams or two uh, women's American Raptors and stuff like that. So, and so, and that just gives these players more time at a, um, more time with each other. And these yeah. are the players that they'll be playing with come um, international call-up and things like that. So it's not going to be as big as, say, MLR, where there's 12 teams going, but maybe having like eight teams um, between North America and South America and having regular competition my in a professional environment, I think that would do dividends as well. But that's just my idea. If you yeah. want a full, a fully in-depth thing, pay me as well yeah. as the players. So... Well, I I think in general, like, I mean, I agree with the general idea of, like, prof get them professionalized and stuff. Um, I don't know, like, if, I, like, the thing is, it's like the Canadian women's team is, it's, I think it's different than the men's team, right? And it's like, you don't necessarily want them playing Uruguay and Chile because they're on the level of England and New Zealand, right? Um, so yeah. it's like, you probably want them playing at that level of competition a lot more regularly which i guess is something they're doing like there's we need to have like you know what is it the pacific four tournament and stuff well it's the pacific yeah. four that feeds into the wxv yeah so. exactly so they're oh the wxv so, yeah so that's a bigger women's season so that's obviously going to be a positive thing but that is only um, at international level so that will right. yeah but at a cumulative <laughs> total that's about like what 10 weeks of the year if that yeah and then you you go well i mean that's not like that's not even actually that's not even 10 weeks that's probably going to be more like how, six well it's however many weeks it is it's going to be more than what it is now um but it's like so you would probably do that and then you play like your you know premier 15 season or whatever right so that's also more time you do that um and then yeah maybe like come up as Sophie Sophie Goody and Kevin Roy have been harping on is just playing more games and stuff um so there's obviously ways to do that um I think the, the thing is like there's probably going to be a ton of suggestions about how to go about playing all of those games right and I just hope like I hope it's all possible but I'm also like kind of like the resources to do this aren't gonna just come out of thin air yeah. um and I think like we, we still have to figure out how to get those resources in um again going back to the whole thing this team clearly deserves it um right so there's got to be like a you need you kind of need like you need it you know it's not just that you need more games um and more like more games the more resources that come in have to also make it like feasible to constantly be playing more games even if it is just like a super long international season or if you kind of do want to kind of branch off and maybe have like a couple I don't know, some like a little mini club competition, even if it's just within Canada, you can maybe, I don't know, you can maybe go like on, you know, East Coast versus West Coast kind of thing or something um, just to be able to keep playing games or whatever. 
uh, that's going to be good or, you know, work out more international competitions with, you know, um, things like the Pacific fours or the women X women's XV, uh, which I'm kind of trying to remember what they said that tournament would actually be at the moment. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I think, I think the world cup as well, definitely show that there's an appetite for women's rugby. Um, at the highest level too, obviously the uh, the final at Eden Park sold out again, mm-hmm. um, right? And you know, um, looks to be some killer ratings on uh, on TV, and looks like a lot of people watched it. A lot of like social media posts and stuff. A lot of like even in Canada, seeing a lot of places that don't necessarily cover rugby too regularly are posting about it. Um, so it's like that kind of stuff. So it looks like yeah, there's a lot of positive momentum, and like I said, that's like. Um, earlier, it's like, as far as the resource things go, it's not just on like Rugby Canada or any of the other individual unions. Like, World Rugby needs to dive into this head first, right? Because it's like, this sport seems like, the women's side of this sport seems like it's ready to like burst at the seams as far as yeah. like, like the popularity and everything of it goes. And, um, you know, if you can turn, even if you can just, you know, turn like the Premier 15s or something into an absolutely elite like Northern Hemisphere League that has you know, players from across, say, the Six Nations and, uh, say, across from the Six Nations and then a lot of got, uh, players from uh, Canada and the USA mixed in there too. Um, make that, like, a little bit of an elite competition. Maybe, you know, it'd be cool too. It's like, I mean, if you want to, like, grow it through some marketing, who are the – you can even, if the Premier 15s want, like, I don't know, pick, like, uh, who's the teams that are going to have the most Canadians and Americans on them? Saracens and Exeter? Come play a game in Toronto or something. Like, you know, like, um, or like New York or wherever, um, you know, kind of branch out like that. Again, that's expensive where those resources coming from. It's something we have to figure out because it's not going to come out of thin air, despite how much in the aftermath of the World Cup, everybody's talking about, um, we need to fund women's rugby more and stuff, but we need to actually, as we need to take that excitement and actually do something to contribute to the funding of women's rugby more instead of just talking about it. Right. Yeah, makes sense. But that is something for the higher-ups to understand. Obviously, we'll be keep championing for women's rugby and women's rugby in Canada. So, yeah, we're hoping that the momentum can continue not only to 2025, but also to the, just the long-term future of rugby as a whole. Okay, so we are going to move on from the bronze final to apparently like the gold final. Apparently, it's uh, two nobodies who aren't important. Um, the host New Zealand versus undefeated England. But this is Eden Park, you know, an absolute fortress for all of New Zealand rugby. The men's team haven't lost there since like 1996, I believe. And the women's team are having their longest unbeaten run at home. And, you know, it's Eden Park and it's a fortress and it's the fortress that won out because the final score, New Zealand 34, England 31. You know, England got a red card early in the game and it looked like they could be out of it, but they kept their fight in as long as they could. But eventually it was the Black Fern once again to lift their now sixth Rugby World Cup and they have defended their win from 2017. This also means that England's match winning streak ends at 30. This is the longest in history for both men or women. And this match is the fifth Rugby World Cup final to feature both New Zealand and England, and they have all 
been won by the Black Ferns. So congratulations to New Zealand. Uh, you're defending your uh, Rugby World Cup win, lifting the Cathy Flores Cup, as I'm calling it. Everyone, <laughs> better, on it? It, it'll catch up. I'm sure I've uh, reached out to Squidge Rugby. Checks in the post, and <laughs> uh, you know he'll be um, mentioning it. I'm sure in due time. But congratulations to New Zealand. Commiserations to England, and yeah, but uh, you know I, you gotta be grateful for uh, New Zealand rugby and the Black Ferns. Yeah, uh, this has been the biggest Women's World Cup to date. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's but it's not the end. It's just the springboard of things to come, as um, the scrum queens have mentioned. So New Zealand, you got to keep the momentum going in terms of marketing. England, this is a very painful knock, but you can keep professionalizing your players. You can keep growing the game in the UK. Obviously, the Six Nations is only just a few months away, and they'll be looking to secure another Grand Slam. And you know, this it's. It's just the beginning of yeah. where professional women's rugby can go. And I, for one, am excited to see where it ends up. Yeah. Now, we got to leave New Zealand, unfortunately. We are going to the Netherlands, specifically Amsterdam, because the Canadian men's 15s team were taking on the Netherlands for the first time ever. Now, Canada are ranked higher than the Netherlands, but as we've known Unfortunately, over the past few years, that doesn't really uh, evaluate to much. So, you know, we're going into this game pretty blind. Uh, as I said, this is the first time they've played each other. Never happened before and held at the um, uh, National Stadium in Amsterdam. Uh, this is a surprisingly like large turnout. And I, f- I feel it's surprising for me because you have to wake up early to watch this game. But obviously for the Dutch rugby uh, supporters, it was... Uh, lot of uh, support going on. Lo- lots of uh, young guys and old guys in blazers watching the game, enjoying the rugby. And, you know, it seemed that it was a great atmosphere um, going yeah, on. Um, you know, it took... Uh, uh, first score was um, Cooper Coates from the tee to get the first penalty of the game. But then um, Leiden from the Netherlands scored uh, two penalties in quick succession. That gave them the lead. And then shortly after that, we had the first try of the game scored by the boss himself, Ross Brody. Uh, fantastic um, to see him scoring tries again. And yeah, it's uh, you know, very uh, not even because obviously the score wasn't um, that close, but very tempered, I'd say, in like the first half. It was uh, well, the score you know, was uh, super even in the first half. Yeah, well, it was uh, half time. It was thirteen all. So that's what that's why I said even in the first half, but tempered probably until I'd say like the fiftieth minute. Everything was like no one really wanted to go too far and make a mistake because both teams knew the other could capitalize on it. But at the fiftieth minute mark, we had uh, Lindsay Stevens going over for his um, first international try for Canada. You know, he only got his. First cap again in the game against Belgium. So, you know, uh, if he gets a try every three games, then you know, it could be <laughs> one of the top try, uh, top try scorers for well, He's top uh, forwards for Canada as well. Um, about ten minutes later, it was a try for Lucas Rumble. Um, and the thing is, is like just before he scored that try, I saw him, uh, you know, looking a little bit drained, a little bit woozy, and but. 
and that's the thing I'm thinking like, oh, maybe we should get um Rumble off, you know, as soon as possible. He's you know, it's all smoke and mirrors. Once he got his hand on that ball, it was like unable to be stopped. And of course, Rumble, as soon as uh, you're as soon as you're there down on the ground and he's got his hands over you, it's already too late. The number of uh what was it um breakdown steals he has just keeps going up and up. And it's yeah. great to see. And then uh Larson, uh Josh Larson got his um try to make it four for Canada in the 67th minute. And all these tries, by the way, that I mentioned have all been converted by uh Cooper Coates, who was immaculate from the T. Didn't all go according to plan, especially in I'd say like the final 10 minutes when uh the uh the Netherlands um scored two tries by Vagamaker and Wineng Wirenga um within like five minutes of each other. Now Coates did get a penalty to make it the final score, Canada 37, Netherlands 25. But I don't know. I think uh Canada knew that they had won the game and unfortunately they just like stepped their foot off the gas pedal and allowed Netherlands just to come in and uh, get those two I don't want to, well yeah I'll say it, easy scores to uh make the scoreline a lot more competitive than it actually was but you know a win's a win's a win so yeah I was uh, watching this game uh in parts unfortunately because I had uh excuse me double booked at that at the time so yeah i caught this i yeah. actually caught this as a replay too i know unfortunately yeah. but um so yeah irritatingly i got more of the dutch tries than of the canadian <laughs> tries but i did get oh, um, so that's it. you should stop watching games that's um, what the problem's been yeah but well, that's it. i have to check fine before you started watching the games well i did also get to see uh larson's try as well so you know it's 50 50 but um yeah it was blaming you mm. <laughs> whatever eases your mind um but yeah now this was i think this is a good game because you know i actually uh, really the, like this game pa- yeah in the past few years on the pod we've been saying that you know canada facing you know england or wales or any of the big teams it's just for you know ticket sales and the bank balance but they need to be getting like positive results they need to be beating teams as well and this is exactly what i want to see from a european tour especially with the world cup next year games are going to be fewer um yeah they're just going to be fewer because there'll be like some warm-up games for definitely like uruguay and chile are they going to be against canada are they going to be against other teams as well you know i have no idea what canada's going to do uh next summer so you know, getting these results in now seems like a great shout. And yeah, and you know, like the venue itself was uh, pretty good. The camera work was you know, enjoyable to watch at places. Uh, obviously, it's like two camera setups are wide and narrow. And I think there was a bit of an issue going from one to the other and then missing a little, you know, unable to see passing and stuff like that. But, you know, enjoyable for what it was. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, obviously, but and Dutch rugby itself has been coming along with the uh, was it the uh, rugby super, the Europe Super Cup, I believe it is the, the Delta is the uh, Dutch team representing that. So you know, yeah. uh, you know, pleasant to see uh, Netherlands come along, but always good to see uh, Canada get a win under their belts. Yeah, and uh, you know, I actually really enjoyed this game. Um, 
because I and to be honest with you, like I think I enjoyed it for a couple of reasons. And, you know, one, it's nice to see um, some guys like Klimchuk and Botcher and Mora um, picking up and um, Connor Young as well, picking up their first caps. It's always nice. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So, like, congrats to all those guys getting their first caps in this one. Um, Right. And, you know, that's obviously just just on that alone. That has been something that we've been saying we want to see. Right. You want to because, I mean, you know, like. Well, whether they're here for whether they're not here for due to injuries or like, you know, a selection choice or whatever. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of good Canadian players that are not on this tour. Um, mm-hmm. but it's definitely one of those things that um we've been saying that we really want to see is like we want to see these the next sort of generation kind of um, you know, coming in, playing games, um, getting some caps under their belt. And um, so just before the game even kicks off. Just and I mean, after the game kicks off, there's a handful of those guys came off the bench. Um, but it's just nice to see the line. I like the lineup that Kingsley Jones went with for this game. Um, you know, a little bit of a veteran mix, young guys, young guys that have a couple of caps, but haven't necessarily played a lot mixed in with, you know, the four guys getting their first cap. Um, so that's that was nice to see. Um, the game itself, um, the one of the things that I think we have like exhausted ourselves talking about on this podcast um especially in the canadian attack um is a lot of box kicking um mm-hmm. but also an inability to adapt to yeah. things and watching this game was actually really nice um yeah. because of that and you know in the first half i think i felt a handful of my of like those frustrations come back. Um, Brody would, you know, like, I mean, there, there was some good try. Brody's try, great try. The, the mm-hmm. well worked. It was a great try. Um, But like there was moments in the game where it's like, okay, like, you know, box kicking on like every, you know, every time they got the ball, maybe two or three phases um, and they would box kick. And ev- evidently Peter Leiden would get the ball and Leiden like I said, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watched the Netherlands national team very often. <laughs> um, but it took me two minutes to be like, Peter Leiden is the best player on this team. Yeah. Um, it did not take long to figure that out. And um, he was unreal in the first half. And for some reason, Canada kept being like, let's keep giving him the ball. <laughs> um, right. So what I did love, because it's like there was a handful of kicking, there was a lot of, or most of the kicking exchanges in the first half was Canada kicking the ball, Peter Leiden getting it, kicking it back, and flipping the pitch on them. Um, There was, uh, Canada came out on the wrong end of a lot of kicking exchanges in this game, um, and Peter Leiden was a big part of that. Um, So, right, and obviously we go in, as we said, we go into halftime, it's 13-13. Canada comes out in the second half. And as I said, it took me two minutes to figure out that that was the best player. I'm assuming it took Canada even less time. Um, But Canada comes out in the second half and they don't do any of that again. Um, Leiden in the second half, I think even at one point the commentators mentioned it when he actually does get the ball, that he's been pretty much like neutralized for the whole second half, not having the same impact. Canada's holding on to the ball a lot more running like there is a like one 
like there was a like uh you know a set of plays where they like they were playing like so expensive with the ball like they went like widthwise across the field like three or four times on their way down to the you know deep inside the dutch line right they started playing a lot more expansive they were holding the ball um they stopped you know um kicking the ball away or doing the box mm-hmm. kicks that were get, like they identified that as like especially with with what Leiden was doing it was like like this it's not working so they come out in the second half change it up the attack is mixed up because i think part of the first half too the attack is kind of was very um let's say predictable um or like stagnant second half guys are running different lines to the ball feels a lot more involved lesage is a lot more involved um um mora's coming off his wing a lot more co's coming off his wing a little bit coats knows what is injecting himself at spots that he wasn't doing it in the first half um Right. Uh, and, you know, Brody or Higgins, when he came in too, were doing very well with the ball distribution. Um, I didn't mention, I, I, I thought uh, Povey at 10, um, second half much better with the ball, making a, you know, his passes were crisp. He was putting guys through gaps. Um, right. And, you know, they knew when to go to feel instead of Povey to kind of spread out the, the, uh, the Dutch defense a little bit more. That stuff, I, and I'm like, this is so much nicer to watch. Yeah, um, but it's also nice to just be like, there's an adjustment that got made and it worked, um, yeah. right? And it worked really well. And then obviously too, man. I mean, like you get down to the line, a lot of these tries that were scored, um, you know, the backs of you know some nice line out malls. Um, really liked the one that led to that that Lindsey Stevens try, um, which I believe is the yeah the first try of the second half. Um, nice little mall variation where they had uh they had you know Bailey in the back and then he runs forward so Larson runs back behind him Bailey goes up gets the ball and then passes it back down to Larson to kind of change where the mall um like where the mall's actually going to be coming in from um uh, mm-hmm. which worked out really well and uh you know Stevens obviously scored that try um you know they the the forwards did really well just with the ball retention too um which I think is part of the adjustment is like the adjustment of not kicking as much works because the forwards did a great job with their ball retention um, in this game. And especially when it got two scoring opportunities, right? Like both, uh, both Larson's and both Larson's and Rumball's try lots of pick and goes and stuff there, right. Until they eventually got over and scored, um, which, you know, is, you know, a, a great way to, uh, to score in rugby. And, um, it it was really nice too. Like I mean, I thought I thought Connor Young when he came in. Um, I'll go. I'll circle back. So I thought I loved all those things. Circle back to the um, the guys with their first caps. I thought Mora played great. Um, coming off his win, Connor Young really high work rate and stuff. Liked seeing that. Um, from the prop, um, Botcher and Klimchuk. I also thought when they came in, they did pretty well at the breakdowns and stuff too. They were you know made a couple tackles, had a nice little impact. Um in the game and i mean i think the uh i mean only real criticism coming back to the end and you know it's uh as you kind of mentioned two tries in the last five minutes um Mm -hmm. you know makes the score brings the scoreboard to make it look a little bit closer than what it was in reality but at the you know at the end of the day that's uh you know it is obviously a younger team um but you know you would like to see those get closed out a little bit more well, you know, a little bit yeah. more effectively, but yeah, um, that's the only only real complaint. Like, I think, like, you know, so I guess to sum up, I loved 
I love the halftime adjustments that got made because, um, I mean, that's been something that we've been harping on for a long time. And I love yeah. that there was a uh, the attack was a little bit more varied and there was a little bit more, uh, you know, um, they showed the Dutch something that they didn't in, in, in the second half. They showed the Dutch something that they didn't see in the first half. And I think that, yeah. Is basically, you know, that's what won the game. It was a tied game at halftime, right? And like those yeah. adjustments, I think, are what won the game. So, um, you know, good on Canada for doing that, man. That was a nice win. Yeah, and you know, it's going to be uh, more of the same next week because Canada are playing. They're playing in Amsterdam, but they are playing a much, much tougher opponent. It is the long overdue uh, 2019 World Cup match that we've been waiting for, it is Canada versus Namibia. Now, Canada, um, with their victory over uh, the Netherlands, they did rise to 21st in the world. Uh, but Namibia have also risen as well. They are currently 23rd in the world. So they, while they are still below uh, Canada, I should also point out Chile are currently below Canada as well, and they are going to the World Cup, as is Namibia. So... This is going to be a much tougher occasion. And, you know, Namibia obviously will be trying to continue and build some momentum. I know the World Cup's a year out, but it's, you know, something that they want to do on an international level. But Canada, you know, as they said, they're going to need to adapt to their plan. Their attacking style in the second half was far, far better than what we've seen in a lot of uh, men's 15s uh, games for Canada. So, I'm hoping they can continue that. And if it doesn't work, I hope they can adapt as well. But that game will be available on tsn.ca or the TSN app. And that kicks off at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time this Saturday, which will be the 19th, November 19th. All right. Great. Right. So we've been to New Zealand. We've been to Europe. I think it's time to come back home because, as we said at the start of the show, we have a lot of MLR news that has been announced as of today, because we are recording on Tuesday, November 15th. So let us begin. Uh, we're going to start with the Arrows specifically, because last week they announced the re-signing of two foreign forwards, and they are coming back for another season. Isaac Salmon and Alani Faleva are back for more, as they have re-signed with the Toronto Arrows for MLR 2023. You know, um... Isaac Salmon, the forward of the year for the Arrows last year. Um, Lani Faleva, um, you know, scored uh, four tries, I believe, in his uh, inaugural season. And, you know, so many carries, so many line breaks as well. You know, uh, you know uh, going into being the role of a fan favorite, especially when he comes off the bench, it's just, like, great to see. And, you know, um, obviously with the... Uh, departures that have happened with um, Cole Keefe and Andrew Quatrin, having these guys back, you know, it gives a bit of um, reassurance in that front row, especially. So, welcome yeah. back, Isaac. Welcome back, Lalani. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's nice. It's uh, most of the pack seems to be returning. Obviously, those guys made huge impacts last year, right? And uh, uh, you know, Salmon uh, proved to be kind of, as you said, forward of the year from the team, right? So. Um, you know, unreal scrummager and, uh, you know, just, you know, when, uh, the ball's in play too, um, you know, everything about his game's great. Uh, Faleva, so much fun to watch. Dude's a wrecking ball. It's, uh, you know, yeah. um, whenever he gets the ball in his hands, man, it pulls people out of their seats. So, uh, great to have him back too. 
Yeah. Well, maybe and like maybe yeah. starting this year. No Cole Keith. Yeah. Well, I guess well, maybe starting the... one jersey. What are we thinking for him? I don't know. Well, definitely. You say he's uh, obviously made an impression with the fans. Definitely made an impression with the staff as well. And um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I think yeah. one of the the one of the issues I had with Faleva is that obviously after he would make a line break and then make uh, 40, 50 meters, <laughs> you'd then see him very clearly gassed after that. It's like every every uh, ruck arrival and stuff like that was a little bit slower. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, you were a wrecking ball, and you did help us get a try. So Man, you, you being overly take... critical for no reason right now. <laughs> I know I'm being overly critical, but that was also <laughs> like in the summer. He may very well have this off season, well, this MLR off season, been told, "Yeah, we we like you doing line breaks. We want you to do more of them. Um, mm-hmm. Would you just focus on this and stuff?" And he may come back, and he may be like an absolute superstar on the field. You know, mainly. MLR, well, it's make it as in making the MLR 15 week in week out. No one can touch him, both <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um, be, I guess it's but, yeah. is it between him and Grindall, I guess, starting loose head right now. Because you got Roland, uh, and, uh, yeah. Roland and Salmon left or on uh, the tight head side, right? So, yeah. I guess it's him and Grindall as of right now, based on who's been announced. Um, well, right. him. Well, him. Well, yeah, he gets yeah. Uh, first pick because of. Uh, I just know who he is. So. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, uh, a couple uh, other anyway, arrows, I, I guess. Yeah. Maybe that, that's kind of yeah. sort of got added to the team. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's a weak uh, draft transition that. there. I need to do yeah. better, but yeah, you're working okay. on it. You'll get yeah. it. Um, it's so it was, post. yeah. <laughs> so this, is, we now move on to the combined dispersal draft and expansion draft. And these are the, um, there have been, uh, rumored results by the Rugby Wrap Up podcast. So, thank you to those guys. It's also been uh, done further by uh, America's Rugby News. And they say, while the results were not publicly released, ARN has now confirmed the selections as seen in their article. So, yeah. I, I think, I think before we get into it, um, yeah, huge shout out to Rugby Wrap Up and yeah, that, that uh, Matt absolutely McCarthy, Brian Ray of- from America's Rugby News, too. Um, because yeah, like this, this, this was awesome. Um, definitely a thing that we probably knew the league wouldn't necessarily say anything about, and I don't even know if they've officially acknowledged the dispersal draft and things on any of their websites or their social medias yet either. Um, yes. but yeah, just it's stuff that I believe it is stuff that fans really want to see. And um, rug, uh, Matt McCarthy rugby wrap up, and then you know America's rugby news and Brian Ray. Just uh, one of those things is just like you got to applaud it, man. Well done on um. You know, well done on uh, bringing this news to uh, to all the the uh, MLR fans. Yeah, definitely, definitely appreciate. It. So, this was how the uh, expansion draft worked. Uh, or should I say, disper- uh, sorry, dispersal. This is how the dispersal draft worked, and that round one, three, four, and five would begin with two picks for Chicago, then the picks for the remaining eleven teams in uh mlr as well as chicago so for example uh the draft order for round one was chicago followed by chicago then nola dallas houston toronto chicago again san diego atl houston new england seattle new york and chicago and chicago so of those 15 picks five were for chicago 
and the remaining picks were for the 10 teams that opted to take place in the draft. It is reported that mm. um, Old Glory DC uh, decided not to participate. So that's how the draft schedule had worked out. Uh, round two was the expansion draft. So this was exclusively for Chicago. So 10 picks for them. Mm-hmm. And then for round three, we follow similar format. Uh, two picks for Chicago, five so MLR teams. The reverse order of what you already said. Yes. So reverse order, another pick for Chicago, the five remaining MLR teams, two picks for Chicago. Then we get to rounds four and five, and this is where fewer teams uh, announce their picks. So it's the same, the same order, it's same just order, but dropped out. Yeah. yeah. So for so in the fourth round, Toronto, San Diego, Atlanta, Houston, New England, Seattle, and New York, they didn't announce any picks. And then in the final round, it was New York, Seattle, New England, Houston, Atlanta, San Diego, and Toronto, and Dallas announced mm-hmm. no new picks. So let's go through and let's talk about who Toronto did let's pick. Just, let's do the arrows first, and then we'll do the rest of Canada, and then maybe a little Yeah, let's think that's it. So according to this draft, um, the hours have drafted Lindsay Stevens, from LA, who was their sixth pick in the first round. Mm-hmm. And in from uh, from Austin, they picked Kyle Breitenbach, and he was the 35th pick overall, and the Arrow's second pick in the third round. Yeah. So, yeah, Lindsey Stevens, you know, hooker, um, has uh, scored a try this weekend, this for, weekend did, uh, yeah. for Canada. So, uh, Canadian uh fully absolutely yeah don't look at where he was born don't need to worry about that um and yeah so i think that's a great pick and as you mentioned um you know anything that can strengthen the starting uh sorry, uh the front row is is always good. good yeah um kyle breitenbach is an interesting pick he is a south african born um player that plays uh, both lock and flanker U.S. Um, eligible, but he is U.S. eligible, which kind and of a domestic goes against. He is a domestic player, so that's so big. That's important. He has so while he hasn't been capped by the United States, he is he has played for the USA Selects. I don't think or know for certain if that actually makes him a um, U.S. Confirmed player, you know, like the in the important thing is, team kind of thing. The most important thing is that the U, the MLR would consider him a domestic player. That's the most important thing. I think that um, that is the most important thing. Um, something to mention though is that these draft picks are currently um going through uh um, they have to actually be signed. negotiation periods. So while they have been drafted, they have not been signed bas- by any team. It's basically every team just owns the rights to these players now. Yeah. Right. And, and then they can go back i guess by december 1st if i understand this correctly yeah it's, it's if they're not signed by december 1st they might go back to their old teams yeah i think the only, the only exception is um former la or austin players uh mm. which have been drafted to chicago yeah because because obviously they don't You're gonna, technically yeah. have a team to go back to so well uh, none of the la if, and austin guys have teams to go back to that is true i guess they just I'm not sure what. But if Chicago has drafted them, that means that they have a two-week 
uh, negotiation period. If they yeah. can't come to terms on anything, then the players can look to other teams for a negotiating period of an extra week. And if they still can't determine something by then, then Chicago will retain their yeah. uh, player rights. Um, um, so, so yeah. I was going to say, I think like, I like the picks from the arrows. Um, I think they're, you know, they're interesting. Um, I think old glory kind of perplexing. I'm not sure why you would not want to participate in this. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, I mean, it's, you know, a crack. I Like, we don't really know what the official rules are, I guess. I mean, everybody's kind of going off, you know, maybe things based on what, like, say, like the USRPA has been saying or like, you know, so yeah. I don't, don't, don't really know how, like, these players are being applied to, like, salary cap and things underneath the rules yet but like yeah but as you said like nothing's been officially released by Um, the league so i do like okay yeah exactly that's true right and i mean it going for everybody it's like they still do have to actually sign so who knows how many of these guys are actually going to end up on the team that they um rugby wrap up is reporting that they ended up on um but i like you know just uh you know for the sake of the podcast or whatever i like the lindsey stevens pick um, yeah. Right. I do. Um, just be, and I know there's a couple really talented Canadian players and stuff that went after Stevens as well. Um, but I think Stevens, looking at the roster that the Arrows have at have released publicly so far, mm-hmm. the only hooker on the squad as of right now that is a as like I said that have that has been announced. The only hooker on the squad that's been announced right now is Gene Cemented. Right. Yeah. So that's the only hooker. So it's like that's obviously you, you need more hookers. Um, you know, who know like um Quatrin's obviously gone to New England um via Utah. And you know, well uh, hopefully McRogers is back. I really like McRogers, so I would hope mm-hmm. to see him. Um, but you know, obviously you need at least three hookers on your team. So um looking at that, Stevens makes perfect sense. Like he's a Canadian player. Um, that's obviously been a thing that the arrows um have really made a big part of their identity. Um, so that pick um both on positional fit, Stevens' skill set, and maybe kind of the ethos of the Toronto Arrows. I think that pick makes a ton of sense. Um Breitenbach, I find interesting. Um he's obviously an incredibly talented player. Um and in you know, counts as a domestic player, which would be great. Um, which is great too, because you don't have to burn that uh one of those eight foreign player slots that the arrows have. Um, mm-hmm. the only thing that's like the thing that to me is that is interesting is that they obviously he is a lock and flanker, and he's a good one too. Um yeah. but like right now you look at the locks, they got we got Shepard, Torrance Reed, Wadden, and Flesh signed. Um mm-hmm. obviously there's a couple more guys that maybe um well, maybe we're waiting on to hear if they're going to come back. Um, I would love to see Paul Cellini back for one off the top of my head. Um, mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we'll see what I guess we'll see what happens. Still, I'm just going based off the roster that we have so far that they've announced. Um, so you have that. And then the back row right now, you have O'Neill, Rumball, Rutten, Edie, and Larson. And it's like that, especially the back row, that is loaded. Um, yeah. So that is like they just drafted another another. So I guess they just drafted another lock flanker, um, and those are some really deep positions. So I'm interested to kind of see. Well, again, one obviously the first thing if Brayton Bach actually ends up signing here, um, yeah. but then two like you know how it's kind of utilized because it's how it's kind of utilized. And man, like I think Arrow's training camps can be fascinating um, from four to eight. 
Um, because yeah. that's that's a lot of competition. Um, that's incredible. It's in that is incredibly deep. And like I said, it's like just even in this conversation right now, we're like naming some guys that it's like it'd be nice to see. Like I said, it'd be nice to see Paul Cialini back. He's not included yeah, right. yet, right? Um, so I, I don't know if he's coming back. I hope he is. Um, but like Brayton Bach, like that's a uh, like I mean that that's deep. The arrows are deep yeah. from four to eight right now. So interesting yeah, to see how he that's fits what in. Leads to like my theory is that Brayton Bach trade may bait. be traded for trade a player in a different position, maybe with salary cap going either way or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but for a player in different position after. After all, some Canadian players have been announced for other teams, and yeah. you know they may be in need of. I say, I was about to say like New York, but they they've started to announce their teams for 2023. So yeah, I can't finally. really get ahead of himself. But uh, let's actually have a look at the Canadians that all the Canadian eligible players that have um, been drafted to other teams. So uh, Stevens was the first. Um, by Toronto, and then followed up in the eleventh pick is Ben Lesage, who has been drafted to New England. Eighteenth pick was uh, DTH Vandermeer, who has been drafted to Chicago. Uh, Justices Duru, the thirtieth pick, has been drafted to New England. Corey Thomas, thirty-fourth uh, pick, has been drafted to San Diego. Nick Taylor, the forty-second pick, has been drafted to Chicago, and Kaino Lloyd, the fifty-seventh pick, has been drafted to Chicago as well. So Corey Thomas is actually moving the least. He's just going a bit further down the coast to uh, San Diego from LA. Interesting um, too. Corey Thomas playing the same position as Brayton back with the pick before Brayton back. Yeah, I think also that's uh, <laughs> now that. Yeah, as in like if if only we had like access to like a multiverse. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not saying the arrows would have picked Thomas or anything. I'm not yeah. trying to apply that either. I just find that's an interesting that's interesting how that works out, I guess. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, one pick all away. These, so all these players have been drafted to other teams. So um yeah. so but I think I remember reading somewhere is that if a player opts not to sign for the team that they were drafted to and uh so this doesn't include chicago is that they can't then play for another mlr team until halfway through the 2023 season there's so, so, no uh i believe it is that there's a date there's like a cutoff and then you can talk to all the other teams and then if you're still not signed your rights go back to chicago no, this is the non-Chicago teams. Oh, for the, so the players that the players that weren't drafted to Chicago. The pl- oh yeah, so the players that weren't drafted to Chicago, yeah, the, but they yeah, can so, go back to their other teams because yeah, they're all so, from LA and Austin. Yeah, so <laughs> so yeah, if Lesage or Sears Duru or Thomas are unable to, uh, you know, negotiate a contract with their new teams, that they, they wouldn't be eligible to sign for another team until. No, um, they get they still get a period nine. or whatever. You had to if you were declared for the draft was how you avoid my understanding of it anyways is by declaring for the draft, you avoided that like I can't play for half a season. So a guy like um so I mean America's rugby news has like a little list of the guys that either didn't get drafted or opted out. And I guess we don't really know. Um, but like those guys have to wait until halfway through the season. But you can sign uh, somewhere else after. That's my understanding. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, well, this this is the problem when you don't uh, publicize the draft or publicize anything go with the draft. You just have to make it up on the fly, <laughs> um, which is oh. what we've done in this situation. So, um, but yeah, as in, you know, I think it's great to see that uh, New England is firmly Canada South at this point. Um, yeah, and yeah, you know, it's good to see that these players can hopefully still get um you know a new season in with a new team i mean obviously uh dth um was unable yeah. to play due to injury last year so it'd be great to see him run out for chicago so, and see how that works out yeah um i love yeah i mean sorry to cut you off but um like i love i love um the the new england kind of diving into canada um, all the Canadian players and stuff, but uh, what I guess the bigger story though, what do you think of Chicago's squad based off of this? Uh, if they can sign even like it's good, eight like 75 80 percent of who they've uh drafted, yeah, they're gonna be forced to be reckoned well, with. I guess that's that was one of the things like I was like when I looked at the rugby wrap up um post. And it was like, because, I mean, I guess we're kind of coming, like, earlier in MLR's history, expansion teams have done really well, yeah. right? Um, Toronto and New York both made the playoffs in their first year. Um, Atlanta made the final in their first non-COVID full year. Um, LA obviously beat Atlanta in that final, and that was their first year. Um, yeah. You know, expansion teams have done very well, up, basically up until the Dallas Jackals, yeah. um, who did the opposite of very well. Um but like I guess that's the one thing. It's like I you know, and it's it's something that kind of makes me wonder too. Because one of I guess the criticisms um that I see um towards Chicago joining the league is if it's too fast. And yeah. there's a small part of, I have no idea who this ownership group is or whatever, but there's a small part of me right now that's wondering if the ownership group was like, if we get in now, we get Austin and LA guys. Yeah. Right. Because it's like you kind of look at this, right? And it's like the core of the Chicago, whatever they're going to be called. Yeah. Is the two best teams in the league from last year. That's the yeah, core of the team. Pretty much. Right. Um, so like um, I kind of was looking at it based on like who they picked. Like I did I did a little mock-up starting 15. They picked a lot of domestic players, which is probably the smart move, by the way. Yeah, that is um, true. But you could probably go the front row of Lerome White, Hugh Roach, Charlie Abel. Um, your second row can be Nathan Denhoy and Luke White. Um, they didn't pick a specialist eight man, but I'll go with the three flankers that they drafted. So Luke Beauchamp, McLean Jones, and Tommy Clark in your back row. Um, uh, Sidney Shoup, scrum half, and uh, then a back line of Luke Cardi, Bryce Campbell, and Billy Meeks in the centers. Um Right, and they still have freaking O'Keefe too. Um, yeah. right, they still have O'Keefe too. That is nasty. Um, yeah. and then you got Julian Dominguez, your wingers right now. If you want, you want, you want to pick between Julian Dominguez, John Ryberg, and DTH Vandermeer, who you want on the wing? Pick, pick. for choice, yeah, exactly. And then Chris, I've had Chris Matina as fullback or Chris Matina as fullback. So, like, dude, that's like, that's an. Like if if these guys do sign, that is nasty. Yeah. Right. And that's not even including, like I said, they didn't draft an eight man, so they gotta go find one, whoever that is. Right. It's like they still yeah, have positions to load up. This is not a full squad. 
Obviously, oh, no. they can still do Not that, yet. and maybe it'll get affected based on who signs. But it's like, as you said, if these guys sign, the Chicago whoever's are looking yeah. phenomenal <laughs> early. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that's the thing you want that unfortunately Dallas couldn't provide last year is actually some competition to the league. Yeah. And oh, and that's it. Well, Dallas may announce a fantastic squad and, uh, you know, finally get a win under their belts as well, which would just be yeah. wonderful to see. But we also now know that Chicago will be playing most of their games at uh, SeatGeek Stadium in Chicago because today uh, MLR announced the 2023 schedule and the new season will begin on Friday, the 17th of February, 2023. And one of the games that will kick off the season is the Fire and Ice Cup as Toronto head back to Atlanta, hoping to win the cup for the first time in its history. Uh, the Arrows now announced that their bye weeks are rounds 3 and 12, and that they will be playing Chicago, Utah, and Dallas away, and Seattle, Houston, and San Diego at home. And for the remaining Eastern Conference teams, as is tradition, they will be playing them both home and away to give the total of 16 games this season. Derek, we finally know when MLR 2023 will begin. It's a bit later this year, you know, hopefully a longer preseason training camp. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, we know when it's camp will be great. Looking at the schedule, I guess we got a Friday night um, or Friday morning, according to the times on the website, 3 a.m. kickoffs. Um, Yeah, I think think they're still ironing some things out, but okay. I I kid, I'm kidding. Um, But all right, so we're looking at the schedule. So we got Atlanta, yeah. like you just said, Fire and Ice Cup. That's Friday night. I'm assuming Friday night. Um, February 17th, that'll kick it off. Um, I, I, um, I just kind of wondering, looking at the schedule, which one, the 12-team league, um, you know, it's, it's sad to see two teams removed from the league. Um, that's never good. A 12-team league works much better than a 13-team league, though. Uh, yeah, uh, and the structure of the schedule, it's much cleaner. It's much nicer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so I like that we're returning. We're playing everybody again. That's kind of fun. Um, right. I like the old format. Looking at the schedule, though, Stu, like mm-hmm. what game for the arrows? Just keep it to the arrows. Keep it simple. What like what games are you looking forward to? Would it maybe like a top two, top three? Most uh, what what are your games you're most excited about? I'm gonna I'll keep it with the uh, home games for the time being because obviously sure. there are some. Uh, I'd say of the away games, it would probably have to be that game against Chicago, just because they're going to be like a complete unknown. Yeah. If they do sign the players that they've drafted, they are going to be incredible to watch. Um. The first game, the first home game, is going to be against New York. You know, the defending champions. That will be the it'll be the second time they'll have played New York in the season by that point because um, the Arrows play New York in the second round as well. Um, something you- conce- something Thanks. concerning is that we know very little about Chicago, but we do know that their stadium is SeatGeek. New York still hasn't announced their stadium, but also come on, guys, get on with it. Just and just find yeah. somewhere. Just announce it. Here, Let's get it here's done. Another Let's side question, though, because we know the MOR for some reason seems to hate the cold. Where do you think yeah. that's that? Because we and then Toronto's got 
February 26th and March 11th and well, March 11th, I guess is going to be at SeatGeek Stadium. But like, yeah. where, like, do, where do you think? Do you think that? Do you think there's a chance that that New York game might be like a neutral venue? Maybe because it's like we know the M- MLR seems to hate the cold. That is true. Like, but I, I honestly don't know. That's I hope the thing, it's not. That... I'm going to say this right now. I hope it's not play in the cold. It's fine. Yeah, we're going to put teams in these cities, yeah. play home games in these cities. Yeah, I think it's good as well. Is that obviously last year we had the the Arrows had the game against LA that was in BC, and especially after cool. having their entire 2021 season um, in Atlanta, yeah. I think fans were a bit miffed to have to lose yet another game to a yeah. neutral venue. So the fact that the Arrows faithful are getting eight games in Toronto next year is. Yeah something to behold um so i'd say the big games that i'm looking forward to are obviously the home opener on april 8th against uh new york um i think as well the game against atlanta because you know just i think the arrows in atlanta have that friendly rivalry that really brings out like the best in both teams and then I'd say, like, the third big one is probably the Arrows' penultimate uh, game of the season against San Diego. Yeah. Because I remember Manu. back in 2020 when it was, like, Ma Nanu had announced yeah. the sign. And at the same time, the Toronto Wolfpack was still around. And it was like, oh, the San Diego's going to come and play at uh, Lamport Stadium on the Saturday. And then the Wolfpack are going to play on the Sunday so we could have... Uh, Ma Nonu on the Saturday and um, Sonny Bill Williams. Sonny Bill Williams, thank you, on the Sunday. And then, ah, oh, and then that didn't happen. And we don't need to talk about why it didn't happen. But well, COVID I, and then the Wolfpack died. COVID, no, well, the Wolfpack got COVID. So, yeah, basically. Either either um, way, I, I still think a lot of fa- like San Diego has been a great team. Yeah. They've, um, been in a position where, uh, you know, the last time they played was in 2021, where San Diego beat the Arrows for the first time. Yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, San Diego fans um, have a bit of animosity to the Arrows for ending their winning streak in 2019, as well as uh, beating them at home yeah. for the first time um, in a while. And... Uh, obviously, there's just been that year out because of how everything fell with like a 13 team league. So, yeah, I think that would be great. And obviously, yeah. um, it's towards the it is the penultimate game. The good thing is, um, from the calendar, is the final three rounds 16, 17, 18. No team has a bye week. So, you don't have any team that's waiting to see if they're going to make the playoffs. It's all. Every game is all or nothing, so I think that's going to be a real high intensity matchup. Yeah. I like, like you know, I said, provided it's not at three a.m. in the morning. Yeah, well, like I said, right? It's like I think that's a part of the benefit of the twelve teams and the format that the league uses when it's twelve teams. Um, the only game I, I mean, I kind of agree with a lot of your with your picks there. Um, the one game I would add though is Saturday, April fifteenth, against the Free Jacks. Um, just because of all the Canadian players that are on the free jacks and a lot of X arrows. Um, that seems like it could be a very spicy game. Um, I will say I, ha- I actually, um, 
you know, at work today, just kind of on my phone, scrolling through it during my lunch breaks and stuff. Um, I I enjoyed the rollout um, for the MLR. I think, uh, you know, shout out to a, a lot of teams that um, made some nice videos, put a lot of effort into um, the schedule release. That's so nice to yes. see. Um, you know, the, I, I um, you know, just specifically because um, I did enjoy the arrows uh, going with a little bit of Top Gun references and the mm-hmm. schedule release with all the other old timey planes crashing for all the other teams. It was pretty funny. Um, I did enjoy that. I think the arrows need to lean into all the top gun this. Um, I would love to see that this year. Um, so I, I thought that was good. You know, a couple. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. I also did like the arrows doing the Chicago beef thing. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> it leads to a bit of a, uh, you know, it could lead to a bigger discussion about what you might want that Chicago team to be called. Um, yeah. The other thing that I think was noteworthy that um, we were kind of talking about, Seattle's got a new logo. Um, they didn't really announce it, but it's kind of... Uh, no, it's not really new. It's updated. It's updated. Um, so different shade of green, the eye on the Orca's green, and instead of saying Seattle Seawolves, it now says Seawolves Rugby. Um, so slight tweak. They didn't really make a big deal out of it, but uh, you know, it is one of those, uh, I guess, interesting things that I noticed during the, uh, the schedule release today. So Yeah, so... Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. By the time this comes, it'll be about 90 days until the MLR season kicks off. You know, some players still to be announced, some uh, draftees still to be signed. But uh, yeah, get ready, everyone. Rugby's returning to North America. But if you can't wait that long and you have to see some rugby as soon as possible, we've got the places where you can find it. Of course, the Northern Hemisphere is continuing the Autumn Nation series. That will be available on DAZN, as well as the Canada Men's 15s team. They will be playing against Namibia this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and you can watch that game on tsn.ca or the TSN app. If you like listening to this podcast and would like to listen to more, you can do so on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts. And if you like watching our beautiful faces and would like to see some other videos that we've recorded with players during the 2022 season, you can do so on our YouTube channel at The Rouge Rugby. In fact, you can find us across all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at The Rouge Rugby. Derek, where can the fine people find you? I'm at Brissette the Jet across all social media platforms. And you can find me mainly on Twitter or Instagram at Hardman, spelled H4RDAN. Well, Derek, I think we're going to end the podcast there. Thank you for talking to me about the, you know, the unfortunate result of the uh, bronze medal final, the um, success of the men over the Netherlands, and the exciting MLR news we have. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast, focusing on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.